started, when Chris started the series and he read from Hebrews where the writer to the church at Hebrews says, don't stop meeting together. It's so important. And I hope you've been as convinced as me for the last few weeks. If you remember, Chris started the series and he talked about community. Do you remember that? Our great need, the greatest human need, in fact, after uh, food and water and shelter is community. Community with God, community with others, belonging. And he talked also that week about singing and praying, things we do when we get together. Then the next week, he talked about Anybody remember what we talked about the second week in the series? Generous giving, how that's a mark of the church, a mark of being part of the church. It's one of the things that defines us. These are non-negotiable uh, marks of the church, the gathered church. And the third thing we've talked about, things we do as the gathered body of Christ, was baptism. Paul Brown, we baptised some people here, didn't we? Had the most joyous Sunday morning, hearing great testimonies, stories of people's salvation, and we baptised people. And today, in our final uh, sermon in this series, we're talking about communion, things that we do as the gathered church, things that we must do as the gathered church if we're to follow the biblical model of what it means to be church. So that's what we're doing today. We're looking at communion. Um, And then after today... We'll be moving on next week to a new series in uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which is going to be fun as well. So, so communion. Uh, today I'm going to speak about communion. I'm hopefully going to bring to us lots of the truth that communion speaks of, and then we're going to take communion together afterwards. Um, but before I do that, just to say what we're doing with this as well is we're starting a, a bit of a series. So we take communion together once a month on the third Sunday of the month. For those of you really switched on, you realise that it's not the third Sunday of the month today. This is an extra one, but typically on the third Sunday of the month, we take communion together, and we're going to be looking at different aspects, different truths uh, that communion represents over the coming months. So as I speak today about lots of different truths, lots of things, we're going to pull some of those out as we take communion together over the next few months, and hopefully that will really help us to appreciate what's going on. Uh, So that's... That Now, we call it communion. It's being together, taking, eating bread and drinking wine, or in this case, grape juice. There are many, many other names for communion. So if some of you would have church backgrounds which are not like this, and you will have called it different things. So um, things like uh, Eucharist, or the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's Table, or there are some parts of the Christian church which call it the Mystic Supper. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Uh, and there, there are lots of different names, and I think actually that just helps to show just how rich and how diverse and how broad and how exciting communion is. It's not a one-dimensional thing. There's so much truth and so much richness in it. And the other thing it's important to remember is the reason virtual church is not really a great way to do church. Now, I don't want to dis. Uh, online preaching, I find it very useful. I don't know about, I'm sure lots of you and I definitely listen to sermons online from all around the world, very helpful, and there are some good things out there. But it's not church, it's not a replacement for church, for being here with one another. And that's because we are, and God knows this, He's not silly, we are embodied, physical human beings. And so baptism is not something you can do at virtual church. And sharing communion together is not something you can do at virtual church. We've got to be together in the room to share this. And God knows we need physical embodied experiences. 
and he gives us baptism and he gives us communion to experience things together. And meals are quite significant things, aren't they? We had a, a celebration meal yesterday and the Bible is full of stories of meals of one sort or another, significant moments of meals. So we're going to look at that a little bit. Um, we're going to get right in by reading a passage of scripture from uh, Luke's gospel. And it, essentially this answers the first question, which is why do we do communion? Why do we do this when we get together, eat a bit of bread and drink some grape juice? Why, why do we do that? And I'm going to read from Luke. Hopefully you can see it uh, as it comes up on the screen. Can you read that? I can't read that, so I'm going to read it from here. So this is Jesus sharing um, supper, sharing a meal at Passover with his disciples. And Luke writes this. When the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at the table, and the apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this, share it among yourselves, for I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jesus is having a meal with his friends, with his inner circle. And he says, they're having a meal, they're not just eating bread and wine, there are other things on the table, so it's Passover, so we know they're eating lamb, amongst other things. But he takes the bread and the wine and he brings some new significance to it. And he says, when you do this, I want you to remember this is about me. This is, on, this is just before he's to sacrifice himself on the cross. This is just before his arrest and his death. And he's pointing his disciples to what's going to happen, my body will be broken and my blood will be spilt. So this is where we get the practice of communion from, if you're new to it. And I'm going to look at seven ways, seven truths, if you like, that we see in the practice of communion. And the first one is provision. Now, there's no accident, I think, that Jesus takes bread. If you think about it, he could have taken the lamb. That might have made more sense in a way. They're eating a Passover meal, and traditionally that would have meant lamb was on the table. And actually wouldn't it have made a bit more sense, in a way, to compare himself to the lamb? We'll see why in a minute. But he doesn't do that. He takes bread, the most daily of foods, the most ordinary of foods, but the no most necessary of foods. And we're reminded of what he says. John recounts it in his gospel. Jesus says to a crowd, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And so Jesus is saying, just as he will fulfill our needs if we come to him. You remember the story? The crowd has come. They've seen a miracle that involves bread. And they come for some more. And he says, you don't understand. What you really need is me. You need to feed on me. The Anglican liturgy for communion uses those words, feed on him in your hearts. There's a, there's a coming to Christ and a, a feeding on him, a recognizing that he's our provision. He's all that we need. Jesus himself taught us, didn't he? He said, pray to the Father to, for daily bread. That's our literal bread. It's our provision. There's nothing... I went to the Turkish shop at 8 o'clock this morning to buy the bread for communion, and it smells so good. They've already baked it. It's just come out of the oven. It's hot. 
and we're driving here in the car, and Joel said, that smells so good. I want to eat some. There's nothing better. It's like fresh bread. It's beautiful, but it's also what we need. It's a daily provision of food. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm what you need. I'm providing for you. And just as the um, bread speaks of provision of our daily needs, the wine speaks of celebration. I don't know if you realize this, but the Bible is full of wine, uh, which I'm like. I'm a fan of wine. I used to work in the wine trade before I did this. Um, And uh, I love wine. It's a beautiful thing. And in the Bible, it's a sign of peace and flourishing and joy and celebration. You know, people don't plant vineyards and make wine in wartime. They do it in peacetime. And all through the Bible, in the Psalms, the prophets, in Revelation, we read about wine and and it's symbolic. And also, of course, Jesus' first miracle was to do with wine, wasn't it? He turned gallons of water into the best wine. The Bible is full of wine and, and it's about celebration. It's about joy. It's about peace. And we, we don't take wine here on a Sunday morning. We have grape juice, which is wine before it's been uh, fermented. And the reason we do that is because we want everyone to be welcome. And we know that for some people, alcohol is an issue in their past or in their present. And we don't want anyone to find that difficult. And so we have grape juice. And that's important. Because one of the important things is that everyone is welcome to the table. So that's just to explain why we don't have wine. So as bread is the provision, wine signifies celebration and joy. Here's another scripture. This is from Isaiah, Old Testament prophet, but he's prophesying, he's talking in quite elaborate language about the new kingdom that Jesus has referred to. So the new eternal kingdom that is to come. And it says this, the Lord of heaven's armies, that's our God, will hold a banquet for all the nations on this mountain. Mountains in the Bible signify victory and closeness to God, don't they? So, And at this banquet, there'll be plenty of meat and aged wine, tender meat and choicest wine. And in the new kingdom, Jesus says, that's when he'll drink it again. That's when he'll celebrate with us. I'm reading this book. Um, it's called The Storm-Tossed Family. It's a very good book by Russell Moore. But I read this last night, and he says this. This is great. The truth about humanity is that the end of our lives is not intended to be the silence of the casket, but the clinking of glasses. Not a funeral, but a wedding feast. And whether you drink wine or not, that's not the point. The point is there's a celebration coming. And as we take communion together, it's a reminder of that. The wine is there as a reminder of celebration. The next truth we find in... in, um, communion, which is a mind-blowing thing, I challenge you to ever get your head around this, is union with Christ. You can dwell on this fact for the rest of your days, and we will get to dwell on it for eternity, and never quite grasp just how wonderful this truth is. In fact, I did a little plug of a book called Union with Christ by Frank Rankin Wilborn. If you're interested in that, come and see me. It's a really good book. He says, nothing is more basic or central to knowing and enjoying God than union with Christ, than understanding our position in Christ. The Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and he's explaining to them some of the things they've got really wrong about the way they're doing communion uh, and giving them some teaching. And this is where this uh, passage comes from here. And he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not 
a sharing in the blood of Christ or a participating, some versions say. And the bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? There's a sense, a mysterious sense that as we take communion together, we are sharing in Christ himself. We're sharing in his body and blood. We're his. We're in him, the Bible says. The Apostle Paul likes to say it a lot, doesn't it? In Christ. We are united with Christ. It's mind-blowing and it's wonderful. It's the basis of our security and our salvation. It's the basis of what Dan was talking about, where we can be shielded, where we can be safe, where we can know eternal hope. And that's why we believe communion is more than just a symbol It's more than just a remembrance. There's something mysterious and powerful about meeting Christ in the bread and the juice. Now, some churches, you'll be aware, believe different things. And there are churches who believe that Christ's body is actually physically present in the bread and the wine. We don't have that view. But neither do we have the view that they're just things that help us remember. There's something more And the Apostle Paul says here, we're we're participating, we're joining with Christ, we're somehow sharing in his body and blood as we take communion. It's wonderful, isn't it? I find communion very exciting, actually. It's mostly because I've been thinking about this for a couple of years and reading about it. It's so exciting that we get to come to the table. It's an invitation by Christ saying, come, come to the table. Come to the table. And the reason it's so beautiful is this, it speaks also of unity in our diversity. So the thing about being around a table is uh, it's a great leveller, isn't it? Everyone's around the table, it speaks of family, it speaks of equality, speaks of fun, speaks of enjoyment, hopefully. That's certainly, uh, certainly what I feel when I sit down to eat. And one of the, these wonderful truths, and the Apostle Paul says this in his letter to Corinth, he says, because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, because we all share in one bread. Again, it speaks a truth that is spiritual and profound, that at Christ's table there is no hierarchy, there's no high and low, there's, no, um, there's chairs, there's place for everyone. And in fact, uh, we read... There's a letter in the New Testament uh, from Paul to the Galatians. And in that letter, he tells a little story. Uh, The Apostle Peter doesn't come out of it very well, actually, but I'm sure they they made up. And Paul tells a story about Peter. And he says, I had to to tell Peter off, actually. Uh, The great Apostle Peter (laughs) saw the church planted in Jerusalem and wonderful in the Acts of the Apostles. Paul says he had to rebuke Peter. I had to tell him off because he'd got something fundamentally wrong. And before Jesus came, and before the gospel came, before Peter understood what that was, he, he as a good Jew, would never eat with a non-Jew. It wasn't allowed. They didn't do it. So Jews and Gentiles don't eat together. Because of the gospel, because there's unity, because there is no Jew or Greek, as Paul says, male or female, slave or free, doesn't matter who you are, the gospel's the great leveller. Or as some people say, the ground is even at the foot of the cross. Yeah, we're all there. There's no high and low. Uh, but Peter, it seems, uh, kind of got a bit scared or something happened and he started withdrawing from the Gentiles and he'd only eat with Jews. And Paul had to come and say, no, you're fundamentally abusing the gospel. That's wrong. 
At Christ's table, everyone is welcome. It doesn't matter who you are. If you know him, if you're united with him, then you are welcome. Unity in our diversity is a beautiful truth. And that's really why we can laugh about the virtual church video, but that's really why that's not the way. You know, technology is a wonderful thing, isn't it? But it can go too far. In fact, I saw a genuine video of a uh, church pastor of a mega church in America announcing their new site. So they've got a site here, a site there, you know, different congregations. And he was so excited, he was announcing, we've got a new site. And it's everywhere, because it's online, you see. And he even said, and this is not a joke, um, there's an actual lobby where you can meet people and have tactile relationships. And I thought to him, you don't mean tactile. When you say tactile, that's not what, you don't mean the same thing as I do. How can you do that? You can't. How can you enjoy and express the beauty of unity and diversity if you're not coming and being part of a body like this? And one of the, th- one of the other truths we see uh, in communion, and sometimes this can be, I don't know, sometimes churches who want to take away that. Sometimes we take something like the Catholic view of saying Christ is actually physically present by his body, and because we don't believe that, we can sometimes dumb down what the truth of it actually is, and we can make it just as kind of remembrance. Um, It's not just a remembrance, and yet it is that also. So it's also a memorial. Because as we read in uh, Paul's letter the first letter to the Corinthians, he explains. He says, in the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus is saying, use it to constantly refresh your memory of what I've done. And what Jesus was about to do is to go to the cross, wasn't he? He was about to be sacrificed, give himself, give his own life, in order to be resurrected from the dead, we've been singing about that loads this morning, in order that we, all of us, wherever we come from, whatever nationality, gender or anything, can come to the Father and have peace with him. That's what he was about to do. And he's saying, well, when you do this, don't forget this. Keep remembering, keep remembering. Uh, And the wonderful thing about this is, as we heard at the beginning, these guys were meeting for Passover, So they're in Jerusalem, they're a bunch of Jewish men round a table and they're meeting to eat the Passover meal together and this is an annual event and the Passover, if you remember, refers back to the Old Testament story when God miraculously delivered Israel from Egypt. So they were slaves in Egypt, had had an awful time for hundreds of years enslaved by the Egyptians and God sends Moses to bring them out. And you know the story, they come out through the Red Sea Before they come out, God sends many afflictions or plagues on the Egyptians to show them who's boss and to say, I want you to let my people go. And Pharaoh, the king, if you remember, he doesn't listen. He's proud. He keeps hardening his heart. And the last affliction which God sends, which is horrendous on the Egyptians who were just rebellious and would not listen to God, is if you remember the story... The angel of death, this is the way the Bible puts it, the angel of death passes through Egypt and every firstborn son in every family dies that night. But God says to Moses, you're to tell the Israelites, you're to tell my people, they need to kill a lamb 
They need to take the blood and they need to mark their doorposts with the blood so the angel of death will pass by and leave them unharmed. Okay, remember the story? And that commemorates death passing over those houses, leaving the Israelites. And after that, of course, Pharaoh relents and just says, go. And, the, and, and God delivers them miraculously through the Red Sea. So Jesus is meeting with his friends to have Passover, and this is what they're commemorating. It's a meal that God had said, I want you to do this every year because you're not to forget. You're not to forget who you are. You're not to forget what I've done in rescuing you. So they're having Passover. And at the table of Passover, Jesus then says, this is now about me. It's not about that anymore. And that's quite shocking, isn't it? I think it might, you could almost have sounded blasphemous. He's taking the Passover meal and he's saying, right, now when you do this, it's in remembrance of me. It's about me. And you know why, don't you? It's because what he's about to do at the cross and what he's about to do through the empty grave and his ascension into glory is the greater Passover. It's, it's to give the greater exodus. It's to enable every one of us to walk free. It's to enable every one of us to come free from slavery and free from sin and free from death. Yeah? Jesus provides the greater exodus. He is the greater Passover lamb. In fact, when he comes to the Jordan to be baptized, what does John says? He says, here's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is referred to as the lamb of God over and over in scripture. And we sometimes sing it in our songs. And I guess for some people that must sound really weird. If you think about it, a lamb's a little fluffy thing, baby sheep. But the reason is, Jesus was killed, his blood was spilt, so that the exodus would be uh, for all people, for all of us to come through that metaphorical Red Sea and be delivered. Hallelujah. So Jesus says, okay, Passover was great, and you can take communion, you can look at the Last Supper and say, well, no, that's a bit like Passover, isn't it? Jesus is saying, you know, remember me, it's a bit like Passover. The thing that I've realized that's really struck me is that when we read about Passover... It was always meant to look forward to communion, to the Lord's Supper, to Jesus' death. It's not just that the Last Supper looks a bit like Passover. It's that Passover was always looking forward to Jesus who would make a way out for all people. Yeah, so that whether you're Jew or Greek, whether you're male or female, whether you're clever or dumb, whether you're rich or poor, however you feel about yourself, Jesus has made a way. He's saying, it's now about me. Now remember me. The Jews are still celebrating Passover. That's still in their history. It's still in our history as the people of God. But Jesus has turned this around and said, there's a new day. There's a new covenant. This is, this is my blood of the new covenant. A covenant where all people are welcome to the table. Okay, another truth it speaks of is future hope. Paul says this, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we do, we remember when we, when we drink and eat, we remember the Lord's death, we proclaim the Lord's death. There's something in the actual eating and drinking of doing this together that proclaims to one another, Jesus has died for us. It proclaims to anyone who wants to watch on and see what's happening, we're proclaiming that, but we're proclaiming it until he comes again. Not just the death of Jesus, but the fact that he's coming again. Let's read this. I read a little bit from Isaiah earlier about the mountain and the meat and the wine. And this is a continuation of that. And it's very, um, it's very pictorial. His language is quite elaborate, but I hope you get the point. 
of what Isaiah is saying about that new kingdom that's coming. And he says this, on this mountain, he, God, will destroy the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. What's he talking about? He's talking about death. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. On that day it will be said, look, this is our God. We have waited for him and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Isaiah is prophesying in images the hope of that new kingdom where we will live with, with Jesus. It's what we proclaim as we eat and drink, that eternal hope. And finally, another thing that the Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth, and they've been making some mistakes in the way they're dealing with communion, and he talks about self-examination. And he says this, Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So communion is not, I think it's important to say, it doesn't have to be solemn. Sometimes I've heard somebody say, you know, we're having a great time. Everyone's jumping up and down and waving their arms and celebrating. Yes, Jesus, like we were this morning. And then communion comes out and it's all a bit solemn and don't quite know how to behave and almost look a bit miserable before we're allowed to sing again and get excited. And it's not solemn, but it is serious. And I think a good analogy is that wedding, you know, the wedding that we see today between men and women and the, the wedding feast that's to come. Weddings are serious, aren't they? But they're not solemn. They're joyful. So it's a serious business. Paul is actually saying to the church at Corinth, some of you are actually not well. You're actually physically sick because of the way that you've um, mistreated and got this wrong. And the judgment he's talking about is not eternal judgment because we're in Christ. We're not subject to that. But he's saying there's consequences, actually, to some of the way you've been behaving. And the church at Corinth was not loving and uh, respecting one another in the the way they took the Lord's Supper together. So it's an opportunity for reflection, for confession, and for worship with a pure heart as we come to the table together. When I say come to the table, it's, it's an image. We're not actually going to come to the table. It's going to come to you. But the picture, if you can keep that in your mind, is of a table where Christ invites us all to come and meet and eat with him. And this is not the only context where we can take communion. We have had a connect group in our home for many, many years, and we take communion together there. And I hope you'll take that opportunity in your connect groups to share communion together. Um, in connect groups, when you, just when you're together in, at home, whatever the context, let's remember all of these truths that we've heard today. If we could bring in the communion, uh, the bread and the juice, we're going to pass it out shortly. Um, so just to say all the things I've said about communion and what it means how meaningful it is I hope uh, makes us realise and I think the last point I brought out from Paul about self-examination shows us that this is a meal for believers it's for people who've put their faith in Christ to be a Christian you have to surrender your own rights to your own life and you have to give him control you have to give him uh, permission you have to invite him to be the lord 
Yeah, that's what it means to be a Christian. So if you've not done that, then communion is not for you. But if you've not done that, but you want to do that, if you want to come to Christ and say, I want to receive from you, I want to understand what it means to be part of the family, to be at one with Christ, to know his forgiveness, I want to become a Christian, then actually communion is a beautiful way to do that, to come for the first time and experience the grace of God. So we don't invite unbelievers, because I think the Bible is clear, this is a meal for those who are in Christ. But it doesn't mean that if you're not a believer, you can't now become one by coming to the table and saying, yeah, I want to share in what Jesus has done. I want to share in that exodus. I want to know what it means to be free, free from sin, free from death, forgiven by God, looking forward to eternal hope, to celebrating with him, to that amazing wedding feast. This is a great way to do it. So we're going to bring around, uh, if people would like to bring around bread and juice and just um, distribute it, uh, welcome team um, and any others who would like to give a hand. There is some in the balcony already, so I think there's juice and bread already in the two sides of the balcony. And one of the words I mentioned earlier is Eucharist. It's a little bit more of a formal word, but it means thanksgiving. The root of the word means thanksgiving. And one of the things we do as we come and have communion together is we give thanks. And, and I hope you've heard some things today that make you want to give thanks. Here's a, a recap of all the things that I've talked about. This is not an exhaustive list, by the way. There are, I'm sure, I would love, actually, if you could think of other truths that are displayed in communion, come and tell me. Um, if you can come up with other things that are in that rich... Um, imagery then come and tell me but these are the ones we've looked at today and as we if you can take the bread and juice and just hold on to it for now we're going to take it together and as we do just be thinking about the things that you've really feel God has stirred in you today about this the provision celebration union with Christ unity in our diversity the memorial of Jesus's death the new exodus. That's so exciting. Our future hope. Just hold on to it and we're going to take it together in a moment. Just be thinking about those things and as the, as the Anglicans say, feed on him in your hearts with thanksgiving. Give thanks for this incredible privilege of coming to the table with Christ. Christ.